Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. We've been doing a series called In Times Like These. We've been looking at the times and the culture that we're living in and how do we respond to them. Times have been challenging, but they've really been challenging for the last 2,000 years. What we're seeing now is things are are moving and it seems like they escalate even more. Paul wrote to Timothy and he talked about these days, the last days, and he said, but know this, in the last days, in the last days, perilous times will come. Times of pressure will come. This morning I want to talk about when the heat is on, handling the pressure that comes. In times like these, how do we deal with it? And there is pressure, there's cultural pressure that's coming on. Uh, People talk about has social media helped us or connectedness? I think it's done some great things, but it also has added to the pressure that culture can put on. You simply make an innocent statement and you get attacked. And there's pressure. So how do we handle that? How do we deal with it? Well, one of the ways we can deal with pressure is we can comply with it. In other words, we just simply give in. We, we give in to the demands and the pressures of a society that continues to push. We give into it to kind of go along. We can condemn it. Condemn means to pass judgment on it. In other words, we're going to reach out and, and judge this and pass judgment. You've got to be careful with that. That can backfire. Mildred was the church gossip, not in this church, but church <laughs> gossip. And uh, she was the self-appointed judge and, and keeper of church morals. And uh, a lot of the church members didn't like the fact that she was nosing into their business and judging, but they were afraid of her tongue, so they didn't say anything. But she made a mistake one day when she crossed a new member named George. She accused George of being an alcoholic because she saw his truck parked out in front of the only bar in town one afternoon. And she told George, in front of other people, there were other people around, she told George, she says, your truck was parked in front of the bar. Everybody knows what you were doing in there. And George just stared at her. Didn't defend. He didn't deny. Didn't explain. He just looked at her and walked away. But that night, George drove his truck and parked it in front of Mildred's house and left it there the entire <laughs> night. You, you got to watch about condemning. I can, I can come back... That, that can bite you. But it's another way we can deal with the pressure and the cultural pressure that comes our way. We can be a contrast to it. In other words, we can show the differences in our lives versus what culture is demanding of us. Jesus actually called his followers to be different. In Matthew, the seventh chapter, excuse me, the fifth chapter, this is part of what's well known as the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Jesus is talking to his followers. He said, you're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
Jesus is talking about letting our light shine, about letting people see the, the good things we do. So what happens, how do we contrast with culture is we live by a different standard and we operate in a different spirit. We don't have the, the same anger, the same hate, the same malice. We operate in a different spirit. And that puts a difference. And one of the best ways to deal with culture is show a difference. There was uh, two articles I read recently about journalists who both are professed atheists. One wrote for the Times in London, one wrote for the New York Times in New York. What's interesting is both of them said they were, they were lauding and applauding Christians. One of them who had grown up in Africa and then went to London said this, he said, I'm an atheist, but I believe that Africa needs God. And he began to talk about the fact that what he saw in Africa, it wasn't the government programs, it wasn't the education, it wasn't the secular programs that were making a difference. He said, Christianity changes hearts and changed hearts changed lives. He said, Africa needs God. The other one from the New York Times wrote, he said, he said believing in God goes against everything I've been raised with. He said, it, it challenges my worldview. He said, but I'm embarrassed by the fact that it's Christians who are on the forefront of society, of dealing with the problems of society. And if you really stop and think about it, the atheists may rail and talk about how bad we are, but we're on the forefront of fighting poverty, of fighting addiction, of fighting abuse, of fighting sex trafficking, of fighting, of fighting problems in other nations. It's Christians who are on the forefront of that. It's Christians who are out there causing things to happen. Now, you may be thinking, you know, Alan, I'm not involved with any of that. How can I even let my light shine? I mean, does my light even shine? Does anyone even notice? Actually, people do notice. Good Housekeeping did a, a study of the five things that people notice most when they visit your house. You ready for this? Five things they notice most. Cobwebs and dust bunnies. <laughs> Trash overflowing. Messy bathrooms. Mail lying around. Dishes in the sink. Just look straight ahead. Don't worry about it. I'm not coming to your house. No need to clean up. We're good. But I thought the author wrote, he said, it's, it's interesting. People notice those things about our house, but what do they notice about us? Jim Peterson was an author who had a friend named Mario. Mario was from South America. And he, Jim, had Bible studies with Mario for four years. Mario had been raised as a Marxist intellectual. He read all the Western philosophers. And Mario obviously was opposed to the scriptures, but yet he would come and, and listen, and he and Jim would have these great philosophical discussions and talk about the Bible. Mario became a believer. And a couple of years after that, he and Jim were talking, and Mario looked at Jim. He said, he said, Jim, do you know what it was that made me decide to become a believer? And Jim was thinking, well, it, it would be our great philosophical discussions. He said, no, that wasn't it. He said, it was the time I came to your house one time. We were going somewhere together, and you invited me in, and I had a bowl of soup with you and your wife and your kids. He said, and I watched the interchange. What was taking place? He said, and I thought to myself, will I ever have that kind of relationship with my fiance? And I had to answer honestly, never. He said, I decided to become a Christian at that time. 
On the other side of that, Jim said he felt embarrassed that Mario had come that day because the kids were acting up and he had to correct them. And he just thought that surely this was not a good witness. But what Mario saw was the, the grace of Christ that bound a family together. And Jim said this. He said, if you're just, a lot of times we're, as Christians, we're so caught up in all the areas that we fall short. But we don't realize that if we're making every effort, if we're, if we're endeavoring to really live for God, then a glimmer of Christ is going to show through. People are watching your life. You can shine your light. We were meant to shine. And you may think, I'm not perfect. And listen, no one is. But they can see Jesus in you. And in times of these pressure, this is what a hurting world needs. We've looked at the life of Daniel and his three friends in the nation of Babylon 600 years before Jesus was born. Babylon had captured Jerusalem, taken captives, and they took three young men, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three young Jewish men who had risen to prominence in the Babylonian culture. The king at that time was a king called Nebuchadnezzar, powerful king. Babylon was the world power at that time. And Nebuchadnezzar made a golden image. They said it was, it was wood-framed and covered in gold. It was 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. And then he made a proclamation where he called in all his leaders and government officials from all over the provinces. And they came to Babylon, and he made this proclamation that when they heard the music, everyone had to bow down and worship the golden image. Everyone came. They played the music. Everyone bowed down. But three Hebrew young men did not bow. And some Chaldeans, some other government officials ratted them out. They came to Nebuchadnezzar. They said, you know, King, you made this declaration and you said when the music plays, we got to bow and worship. And those three Hebrews, those, those, those guys you brought in from, from Judah, they don't, they don't serve your gods, Nebuchadnezzar. And they did not bow to your image. We'll see what happens. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I've set up? Now if you're ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. One translation said, we're not going to be careful about this. In other words, they weren't choosing their words. If that's the case, that you throw them in the furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. These young men were unwilling to comply with the pressure. The pressure when the music came on that they were to bow down. They did not serve Babylonian gods. They weren't going to worship. You have to understand, these, these men refused to compromise the convictions of their heart. All of these three Jewish young men were raised. They had to memorize the first five books of the Bible by the time they were 13 years old. They knew the scriptures. And they knew the scripture that where God had said, you shall have no other gods 
before me. They were unwilling to compromise the convictions of their heart. And they showed an uncommon courage when the pressure was on them. When they were, listen, these guys had high-ranking positions. Even though they were captives, man, they, they, they had cush jobs. They were in great shape. But they risked not only losing a job, they risked losing their life. And so when the king gave them a second chance, they were very straightforward with Nebuchadnezzar, but they were not, they were respectful. They were not condemning. You know, they didn't look at Nebuchadnezzar and go, hey, that stupid gold idol you set up, we ain't worshiping that gold idol. And your gods, they're no gods. They, they were not condemning. They were respectful. They just said, king, not going to happen. We're not going to, we're not going to do it. We're not bowing. We're not going to do it. And it made Nebuchadnezzar mad. Really mad. And uh, he, uh, he said, well, great. I'll throw you in. But they had a confidence before the king that I thought was just amazing. Their confidence was in God. And what they said was, you throw us in, king, because we're not bowing or, or worshiping. You throw us in, and uh, the God whom you say is not real, he not, not only can he deliver us, he will deliver us. We're coming out of this. And then there's a phrase here, but if not. Two, ver two versions I've heard on that. One version is, but if not, if God doesn't deliver us, then we're not going to bow and we're not going to worship. And I'm okay with that. That's still courageous. I like the second version. And it really is, the second version is, but if not, if you don't throw us in. Because if you really stop and think about it, you get thrown into, the, into a fiery furnace, you're not worshiping, you're toast. Literally. You, you are a crispy critter in no time. And so basically he's saying is, King, we're not going to worship. And our God, he can deliver us and he will deliver us. He said, but if you don't throw us in, we're still not going to worship and serve your gods and we're still not going to bow down in front of that golden image. And Nebuchadnezzar was so pleased with their fortitude and courage that he let them off the hook, knew it made him mad. And it made him so mad, you see what happens then. Then these men were bound in their coats and their trousers and their turbans and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot. Actually, King Nebuchadnezzar told them to heat the furnace up seven times hotter than normal. So the, literally, he turned the heat up on them. And because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound, they were tied up, in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He said, Look, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. They had a courage. They did not comply with the pressure. They had the courage to, to face the king, and they had a confidence in God, and God showed up. Because they got thrown in, they were bound. In fact, the fire was so hot, it killed the guys throwing them in. And, but they're walking around, and Nebuchadnezzar looks up, and he goes, I thought we threw three in. It's like, true, king. He said, I see four. 
And the fourth one is like the Son of God. God must have sent one of his angels, and now they're walking around, and the fire is not hurting them. And God, let me tell you something. When God shows up, fire has no power over you. And, he sh- and so Nebuchadnezzar went to the mouth of the furnace, and he called out. He said, hey, I need you guys to come out. And when they came out, everyone gathered around them. And the scripture said their hair wasn't sin. In other words, they still had all their eyebrows. It, it didn't singe their hair. They didn't even smell like smoke. And Nebuchadnezzar, backed, he just walked back his decree. He said, anyone now who says anything about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you say anything bad about that God, and we will cut you in pieces and make your houses a ash heap. He was real big on cutting people into pieces and stuff. And so, <laughs> but he, backed, he walked back that whole decree because he saw what God can do. I want to tell you something. Listen, when God shows up, it doesn't matter what they say they're going to do to you. If God shows up, you win in the end. And these men got promoted one more time. It was amazing. So we look at their story and we go, what is that? How does that help us handling pressure today? The cultural pressure that comes on today. So let me give you three, three things. We pattern these after these young men. We have to be people of conviction. A conviction is an unshakable belief. Doesn't need a proof of anything. It's an unshakable belief. And by being people of conviction, our convictions are based on the unchanging word of God and the power of his Holy Spirit. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he wrote these words. He said, evil men and imposters, talking about the days we're living in, he said, we'll grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. Paul had taught Timothy and talked to him, knowing from whom you've learned them. He said, and that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Our conviction has to be based on what God's word says, not what culture says. See, culture will put pressure on and it'll say, you need to comply with this. You need to agree with this or we will cancel you. We will do these things to you and you need to be people of conviction that say, no, my conviction, my unshakable belief is based on what God's word says. Now, let me just tell you how this works in reality. About last year, I got a letter from a man who wrote me and he said, um, email, and he said, I've heard great things about the church. He said, me and my husband would like to come to the church, but we want to know if we're going to be accepted and celebrated there at the ark. That one got to me. And I wrote him back. I said, thank you for the, your kind words. I said, you are more than welcome to come to the church. I said, anyone can walk through our doors. I said, we believe in come as you are. I said, however, I said, in all fairness, I must tell you that the only relationships that we affirm and celebrate are the marriage relationships between a man and a woman and that sex is confined to marriage. I said, we celebrate those. Thank, thank but I said this. I said, we're not hateful about it and we're not heavy-handed. You're welcome to come. He wrote, he wrote me back. He emailed me back. He thanked me for responding to him. 
And then he asked me if I knew any other churches in the area that I could recommend. <laughs> and I did. I knew a couple. And so I recommended. I, I want you to hear, I want you to hear me very clearly. I was not hateful. And, I, and I, we don't hate people. Anybody is welcome to come to this church, regardless of what you were involved in or are involved in. Listen, you say, well, you let sinners in? Listen, if I cleared the sinners out, I'm talking to nobody. Everybody. Church is not a place for perfect people. Church is a place where people who aren't perfect come to worship a perfect God. Amen. And this is what we're about. So, now I know people say, well, if you, don't, if you don't affirm my lifestyle, then you're a hater. No, you don't get to control the narrative. I have no hate in my heart for anybody, but my convictions are based on the unchanging, powerful word of God. That's where we stand. And so that's where, that's where we are. You've got to know what you believe and why, and then have the courage to back up those convictions. See, courage is the willingness to act on what you believe. It's not always a feeling. It's, it's an action. John Wayne said courage is feeling afraid, but saddling up anyway. A, a couple years ago, I told the story of, of what happened behind the Iron Curtain back before the Soviet Union fell, the Iron, Iron Curtain fell. Back at that time in the 70s and 80s, the church in the Soviet Union was persecuted tremendously. And oftentimes, believers would be killed or put, sent to Siberia. It was just a difficult time. And so I told the story of, of people having church. And, and as service began, two soldiers, two USSR soldiers, they stepped into the, the building, they shut the doors, and they raised their rifles up. And they said, if you are not a believer, you need to leave now. And a few people got up and left and went out the door. Then the soldiers dropped the gun and looked at the pastor and said, okay, pastor, we've cleared out all the informants. Let's have church. <laughs> I told that story. And the next week, a lady came to me and she said, Alan, that story has troubled me for so long. It just troubled me all week. I said, why? She said, I don't know if I would have had the courage to do that. I don't know if I would have had the courage to stay there with my life being threatened. I don't know. We could look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and go, I don't know if I have the courage to face death, to face the fiery furnace. I don't know if I have the courage to die for Christ. And it just came up out of my heart. I told her, I said, listen, in, in the culture we live in, don't worry about dying for him. Just worry about living for him. Just have the courage to live for him today. And really, the courage to live for him is, means we go God's ways. We do, we do it his way. And when God spoke to Joshua, he said in Joshua 1.7, he said, be strong and very, very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. It takes courage to say, you know what, in, in a culture that puts pressure. And when I say culture, guys, I mean it might be your home culture. It might be your work culture. It might be your school culture or your relationships. But there's pressure to say, don't go God's way. That's an antiquated book. That's an old way. But we're a people that say, no, I have the courage to say, I believe God. I believe he's real. I believe he's strong. I believe his ways are best. I'm going his way. People of conviction. People of courage, people 
of confidence. We have a confidence in God that is real. I have confidence in the reality of a living God. And not only is he real, but confidence that he will be real to me, that he will be real to you, that he will get involved with us, and that he will help us. See, that gives me confidence. My confidence is not just made because I'm a strong personality. My confidence is based in a strong God. In Hebrews, one of my favorite verses, Paul said, let your conversation or your way of life be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself, God himself has said, he will never leave us or forsake us. So we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Do you realize we have an ability with culture pressuring, with all the pressure that's on in these days, we're not people that have to run and hide. We're people that have convictions. We love people. We love God. And we've actually, we love God more than we love anybody else. We love his word. And we have a confidence that if anyone is going to come through, we're going to come through, not because we're awesome, but because our God is awesome. And we stand with him and we stand with his word. Listen, if you base your whole life on culture, you'll be doing this for the rest of your life. You base your life on God's word and, his, and the power of his spirit and how solid he is. And you become a rock that this world needs. I told you a story a couple of weeks ago about how I got hired at that company. They should have never hired me. But God opened a door. I got a great job. But I didn't tell you the rest of the story. The rest of the story is they, after they hired me, they sent me to Dallas for, a couple, for about a week to train with a guy. He was a sales rep. And so I rode with him and trained with him. And he began to tell me how you succeed at this job. He said, you know, Alan, he said, he said this job, we sold check printing services to banks and savings and loans. He said, this job, he said, our, our, us and our competitors were pretty close. He said, so really the only way you win at this, at this job, the only way you can sell is you have to wine and dine people. I'm like, why did I? He said, oh, yeah, you've got to entertain them. You've got to take them out to dinner. You've got to take them to bars. You've got to take them to strip clubs. You, you know, he said, that's how I've got my sales. I, man, I've taken them out, and we'd go out drinking. We'd go out, and I'd take them to these clubs and around Dallas. He said, that's how you sell in this company. Well, now we've got a problem because that goes against my convictions. My convictions is I don't need to be spending time in strip clubs. I, I check with you. I checked with Joy. She was not happy about it either. So uh, that was her down there clapping. No, no, I'm kidding. I, uh, I just said, that's against my convictions. I said, and I'm, I'm not a drinker. I'm going to have a hard time taking people out to drink. I was so discouraged after traveling with him that I went back that night. I was staying in the hotel room by myself. And, and I called Joy. This was in the days before cell phones. Anybody remember those? Yeah. So I called her Collect. And she answered the phone. And I, I, told, I told her about how you sell in this job. And I said, hey, I said, I can't do that. I said, I'm, I'm not, I, I can't do that. I, I need to quit. And she, I remember she told me, she said, Alan, don't quit. Let's just trust God. And I went, okay. I remember I bought a book that time Robert Schuller wrote it. it's called tough times don't last tough people do and I read that book and it, it just kind of strengthened me on the inside and I'm like well here we go I'm not going to whine and dine I'm not going to take them to strip clubs and 
God, I'm going to hope that you come through. I had convictions. I had the courage to keep the job, and God showed up. God showed up big. I sold like nobody's business. I had sales fall in my lap. The first day I went out in my territory, I had the bank go, oh, we're going to go with you. I, I just sold over and over and over again. And my expense budget was the lowest in the company. My sales manager said, you don't spend any money on expenses. I was like, that's right. He said, but your sales are high. I said, God is good. God is good. Because God can, listen, if you'll honor him, if you'll have convictions, if you'll stand by them, if you show a confidence in God, he can show up in a big way and he can do what no man can do. And, and it, was a, it was amazing. He said, well, well, that works for you. You were a pastor. I was not a pastor. I was a sales rep. A sales rep who loved God. A sales rep who was going to go God's way. I wound up being a trainer for that company. They would send all their new hires and their managers. They would send me and I would train them because they couldn't figure out how I could sell without whining and dining. But when they had conferences in Las Vegas, they sent me to Las Vegas. They said, we know you're the only one stay sober enough to remember what went on. <laughs> Guys, shining our light, I didn't, I didn't condemn people. I wasn't down on them. I didn't preach to people. I just shined my light. I lived by my convictions in God's word. I had the courage to stand up for them. And God showed up when I just said, Lord, I'm trusting you. Would you bow your head for a moment? His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. If you came today or maybe you're watching online and you say, you know what? I don't even know if I have a relationship with the Lord. I'm not sure. Maybe Maybe you're saying, ah, I used to walk with the Lord and I've gotten away from him. Well, we're going to say a prayer. I'm not going to have you stand up or come to the front, but this prayer is for you. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. If that's you I'm talking to this morning, and you know it, and, and you say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? Would you slip your hand up quickly across this auditorium? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. It takes courage to do that. Anybody else? Say, that's me. Thank you. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe you didn't lift your hand. That's okay. Listen, it's not just hands, it's hearts. You can pray this prayer with us. We're going we're to pray it with you as a church family. You're not alone. We're going to pray it out loud. If you're watching online and you're by yourself, say it out loud. If you're with other people, pray quietly. Say, Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. God raised you from the dead right now. I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Head still bowed and eyes closed. Father, thank you. For those who have prayed that prayer, for those who stepped out of spiritual darkness into the light, and for those who've come back home, we rejoice with them. And Father, for the rest of us, thank you that we're meant to, built to shine our lights. Help us be people of conviction in your word, people of courage to act on what we believe, people with a confidence in a powerful, loving God. We give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. 
Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.